Ladies and gentlemen, the following segment of the podcast is presented exclusively by Hillsdale College. Now, in its 175th year, Hillsdale is a truly independent institution where learning is prized and intellectual enthusiasm is valued. Thank you for listening and my sincere appreciation to Hillsdale for their sponsorship. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Number 877-381-3811, You know, it's amazing. Three hours is never enough on this program, and I've got a ton to do today, and I want to bring to your attention. But I, sometimes before I come on this program, even during a time I come on this program, when I have friends and acquaintances email me, I have to scratch my head. I have to shake my head. Everybody wants to be an analyst. I'm not an analyst. I'm an advocate. We got we have people, friends of mine, lawyers who are out there predicting. I don't think the Supreme Court's going to take that. I'm very pessimistic about that case and so forth. And so I'm sitting here. Well, what case would you be optimistic about? This is an uphill battle. It's obvious from the Supreme Court's conduct the last five weeks that it has absolutely no interest so far in ruling on any of the cases, including the one that's been before it for at least a month regarding Article 2, and whether a state court can rewrite a state election law, eviscerating the Article 2 of the Constitution and undermining a state legislature. It's not a matter of whether you're optimistic or pessimistic, so you can write another blog point and say, look at me, I was right. Or as I said last week, what is the point of this? What is the point of it? I don't get it. Everything's on the line. Everything's at stake. It's the difference between analysts and advocates. People who take what's going on in this country very, very seriously and want to defeat it and want to push back versus people who are commenting on it or observing it. And they feel the need to tell me. 
Well, don't tell me. This case that's been brought in Pennsylvania that I talked about at length yesterday, and Daniel Horowitz has a great piece up at The Blaze, and I've posted that, a link to that as well, should be a slam-dunk case. The Commonwealth's judge got it exactly right. She issues a temporary injunction, wants to have a hearing, says it's likely the plaintiffs are going to win on the merits, the Constitution is black and white, the presidential rulings by the Supreme Court of Pennsylvania are black and white. Maybe I have one law professor contact. No, I don't see it that way. Cares how you see it. You don't know what the hell you're talking about. Another law, I'm very pessimistic. Who cares? And then that Commonwealth attorney, excuse me, judge, had the rug pulled out from under her by five Democrats out of seven on the Supreme Court of Pennsylvania. And so they've appealed as of yesterday to the U.S. Supreme Court. They've made some very, very strong arguments. And I sit here and I get, a, I get an email that says, you know, they were late. You know, the latches issue. Two-thirds of the brief deals with latches. That they wouldn't have had standing under Pennsylvania law, and certainly with that court in the uh, Pennsylvania Supreme Court. So they had to wait for the election. So they make the point, they explain it in the brief. Either, either a justice on the Supreme Court of the United States understands it and embraces it, or they don't. We have absolute lawlessness going on in the state of Pennsylvania. Forget about fraud. Absolute lawlessness. First by the state legislature, the governor, the secretary of state, and in the case of the governor and the secretary of state, repeatedly, we have lawlessness going on in the Supreme Court of Pennsylvania, You know, I'm not very optimistic about this lawsuit. And that's what I have to hear? I said it's an uphill battle. All these cases are uphill battles. But it's not a matter of being pessimistic or optimistic and making predictions. I could care less. So don't write me your crap. All these people sitting on the sidelines shooting spitballs at good lawyers, smart lawyers, aren't getting paid a dime. They're getting paid for their appearances and their hits. and They're not being paid a dime for using their brain power and working till 7 in the morning. And it's not just working, working smart. These idiotic, abstract arguments that I have to hear, and I'm very pessimistic. Keep it to yourself. And I turn on the TV. You know what the headline is, Mr. Producer? That the Trump team has raised $170 million in legal battle. Tell me, ladies and gentlemen, how much did the entirety of the federal government spend on the Russia collusion hoax? Billions? Billions? Why does it matter? how much the Trump legal team is raising or spending on legal cases. Why is that relevant to anything and to anyone? It's not. Who cares? It's just shocking to me. And they try and turn some of our lawyers into conspiracy theorists. When the whole culture, the whole society, when complete industries, whether it's Hollywood, 
or television or news or politicians were all involved in one conspiracy theory after another when it came to Russia. And they're now pointing at people about conspiracy theories? Is this some kind of a joke? Now, I want to address my friend Bill Barr. And I think he is my friend. I like him very much. I like doing the interview with him and so forth. The truth of the matter is, the United States Department of Justice doesn't have the foggiest idea if there is systemic fraud or not. And I know, having served as a chief of staff to an attorney general, the attorney general is not in the trenches. He has to rely on the United States attorneys, or the USAs, as we like to say. The USAs have been utterly passive. Almost to the point of disgraceful. I'm going to give you a specific example. Now, when you give a specific example, people say, well, that's just one example, because critics are used to talking in generalities with no facts and no examples. I'm going to give you one example. I came on this program not long ago, and I read to you an email. I read to you an email that was sent to the judges of election in Delaware County, Pennsylvania. Delaware County is one of the big suburban counties outside of Philadelphia. It is a big county with a lot of people. When I was a kid, it was a solid Republican county. Now it is a solid Democrat county for the most part. And this was sent out by a top election official. And the subject is, and this is November 12th, urgent. Delaware County Bureau of Elections, missing precinct data, action required from judges of election. So it's not one case. It's across the entire county. It's a big county. Dear Delaware County poll worker, thank you very much for your service on election day. We know that it was a long day and that things may have been missed during the closing procedures at the end of the night. Unfortunately, due to missing data, election results from your precinct cannot be confirmed and approved for final tabulation until the missing data is reconciled. In order to ensure that all votes cast will be counted, we need at least one member of your election team to come to the machine warehouse ASAP to help complete the forms. If you were the minority inspector and were provided an envelope at the close of polls, Please bring the envelope with you to ensure the county has as much data as possible to correct issues in the precinct. You believe this? And this is the county where they really can't account for hundreds of thousands of votes, Mr. Attorney General. But I'm not done. The missing data may be any of the following. Bullet, missing yellow numbered list of voters. Bullet, incorrect numbers in the yellow book, that is, numbers that do not match the scanner tabulation. Bullet, missing ballot reconciliation forms, this impacts the ballot chain of custody. Bullet, missing information in the close of night return sheet. Bullet, missing return sheet. In other words, the whole damn vote went to crap. We appreciate 
Your commitment to serve the voters on Election Day and appreciate the time and effort spent helping the county in this endeavor. And it's from the Delaware County Poll Worker Coordinator. I have her name and her email and her phone number right in front of me. They never did figure it out. In fact, we now have whistleblowers and others who've come forward and say they were pressured to sign documents that the information they had provided was accurate and complete when it wasn't. Part two. This was brought to the attention of the United States Attorney's Office in Philadelphia. Do you know what the United States Attorney's Office in Philadelphia did with this? Nothing. They said, that's not my business. That's not my jurisdiction. They couldn't even get in the door. Furthermore, this was brought to the attention of the United States Department of Justice. Maine Justice in Washington, D.C. And you know what they said? We'll pass it along. Now, what came of this at the Department of Justice? Absolutely nothing. They never followed up. They never followed up. Not the U.S. Attorney's Office, not Maine Justice. God knows how many of these events took place throughout the country. I have no idea. I have no idea. I think it was unfortunate that the Attorney General would make a declaration saying there's no widespread election fraud, none that's been brought to us. Playing right into the hands of the media, which of course, run with it. They like to take the words of the people they hate the most when they think those words will benefit their cause and splash them as headlines which get regurgitated for the next 72 hours. So now the Attorney General and the Department of Justice are juxtaposed against the President, his campaign, and their lawyers. I mean, that's really pretty outrageous. AP News, and AP is the biggest of them all. Attorney General William Barr said Tuesday to the Justice Department, has not uncovered evidence of widespread voter fraud that would change the outcome of the 2020 presidential election. Is there an investigation going on by the Department of Justice in these various states to determine if there's widespread voter fraud? The answer is no. And that should have been the answer of the Attorney General, in my humble opinion. We haven't conducted an investigation to determine if there's evidence of widespread voter fraud. His comments in an interview with the AP come despite President Donald Trump's repeated baseless claims. This is a news report that the election was stolen. Trump's effort to subvert the results of the 2020 presidential election and his refusal to concede his loss to President-elect Joe Biden. This is a news story by Michael Balsamo. Michael Balsamo has no idea what's going on either because Michael Balsamo has never gotten off his fast, fat ass out of Washington, D.C., and gone into these various areas to see what's taking place. Not once. So the people talking about this, in this case the Attorney General and Michael Balsamo, actually have no idea what's going on. Quote, today we have not seen fraud on a scale that could have affected a different outcome in the election, unquote. The Attorney General told the AP. 
And so, of course, the president's lawyers responded and said, basically, in plain English, how would they know? Since they're not around, they're not here, they're not looking. More when I return. Mark Lovin. As we enter the Christmas season, most of us stop to consider our many blessings. Well, Hillsdale College wishes to thank you for standing with them as they celebrate over 175 years of blessings. Since 1844, Hillsdale has held fast to its mission to provide the kind of education essential to preserving free government. And for decades, the college has extended its educational mission on behalf of liberty through a variety of outreach programs. Perhaps you receive in Primus for free every month or have taken one of Hillsdale's excellent free online courses or have attended one of Hillsdale's free regional events. Now, you know of Hillsdale's refusal to take even one penny of government money. This independence allows the college to focus on promoting Promoting its core purposes, learning, character, faith, and freedom, without any government interference. At no time in our nation's history has there been a greater need for the kind of classical liberal arts education that Hillsdale offers on its campus and nationwide. So during this season of blessings, Hillsdale thanks you for your partnership in extending its mission to the country. To learn more about Hillsdale College, visit levinforhillsdale.com. That's L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. levinforhillsdale.com. This is at uh, the Bongino Report, one of the great sites out there. Dominion contractor drops bombshell that what she witnessed in Michigan was complete fraud, quote-unquote. These people are testifying under oath. We've had more people testify under oath about corruption and fraud than ever testified under oath in the Russia collusion about any eyewitness testimony whatsoever. At the Michigan Senate Oversight Committee hearing on Tuesday, a woman who worked as a contractor for Dominion Voting Systems came forward to testify. She said what she witnessed was, quote, complete fraud. Speaking at the Binsfield Office Building in Lansing, Melissa Carone was welcomed by State Senator Ed Bloom. Carone said that she was contracted by a temp staffing service to work with the Dominion Voting Systems, work from November 3 the next t- through the next day. She said she was initially supposed to be working the Department of Elections. Uh, That was an order from Dominion Voting System. What I witnessed at the TDS Center was complete fraud. The whole 27 hours I was there, there were batches of ballots being ran through the tabulating machines numerous times, being counted 8 to 10 times. I watched this with my own eyes. I was there to assist with IT. These people on night shift, there were four people on night shift, one of whom i known for 20 years. He approached me and said he has absolutely zero training whatsoever. And it goes on. Attorney General Barr. As we enter the Christmas season, most of us stop to consider our many blessings. Well, Hillsdale College wishes to thank you for standing with them as they celebrate over 175 years of blessings. Since 1844, Hillsdale has held fast to its mission to provide the kind of education essential to preserving free government. And for decades, the college has extended its educational mission on behalf of liberty through a variety of outreach programs. Perhaps you receive in Primus for free every month or have taken one of Hillsdale's excellent free online courses or have attended one of Hillsdale's free regional events. 
Now, you know of Hillsdale's refusal to take even one penny of government money. This independence allows the college to focus on promoting its core purposes, learning, character, faith, and freedom, without any government interference. At no time in our nation's history has there been a greater need for the kind of classical liberal arts education that Hillsdale offers on its campus and nationwide. So during this season of blessings, Hillsdale thanks you for your partnership in extending its mission to the country. To learn more about Hillsdale College, visit Levin for Hillsdale. Hillsdale.com. That's L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. Levin for Hillsdale.com. Mark Levin, tough as hell. That's why I like Mark Levin. And I'm not sure a lot of people like him. He's tough as hell. But I like him. I love him. Call in now. 877-381-3811. Now, this hearing by the Dominion contractor was open. It was in Lansing, Michigan. Where was the uh, U.S. attorney in Lansing, Michigan? Did he miss the hearing? She said, as regards the adjudication process, her name is Caron. She was, quote, under the impression 100% that all of these workers were in on this. This was not a single ballot that the whole night, the whole 27 hours I was there... That was for Donald Trump. Not one ballot. That is scary. There's no reason for that. There was something going on at that Department of Elections, and it's clearly something that is very illegal, and I'm grateful to God that I didn't go there. Upon questioning, she clarified that her position was to be a temporary worker for Dominion. She said that there was a big data loss as well on November 3. She was asked as to the basis for her allegations that ballots were counted multiple times. She said, so the tabulating machines, when a ballot jams, it puts up an error. It will say discard or recount. So when it puts up that error, when a jam occurs, the correct way to go about it is to discard the whole batch. To take the ones that have already been tabulated, put them back into a pile, put the one that jammed on top, discard, discard the whole thing, then rescan them. In other words, start over. They were not discarding. So they were just rescanning, rescanning, and rescanning, counting ballots, eight to ten ballots, just recounting them. They had absolutely no idea what they were doing. If you do not discard it, it is recounting it. Say ballot 25 had an issue. You would already went through 24 ballots. So you're going to put them back all in a pile, and you're just going to rescan them? So you've now recounted 24 ballots? And she goes on. Sounds like pretty good... Sworn testimony to me, Attorney General Barr. Where's the U.S. Attorney? And she said this. Cut one. Go. Not one of the military ballots was a registered voter. Um, and the ballots looked like they were all exactly the same Xerox copies of the ballot. They were all for Biden across the board. There wasn't a single Trump vote. And none of the, the voters were registered. They had to manually enter the names and addresses at a birth date of 1-1-2020, which would override the system and allow them to enter non-registered voters, of which I saw several that day. Throughout the day, that's how they would override voters that were neither in the electronic poll book or the supplemental updated poll book. Thank you. This woman has come forward. She's given her name. She's testifying in public in front of a Michigan committee. Her information is available for the United States Department of Justice and the United States Attorney for that district, and they've done nothing. And we're getting a lot of testimony like this. And then we get stupid commentaries at National Review. Well, it's not enough to change ballots. 
This is unbelievable. The amount of fraud and corruption that's being presented is unbelievable. And the tolerance for it is unconscionable. Absolutely unconscionable. And notice, not a single Democrat gives a damn. Not one. And notice, not a single media person gives a damn. Not one. We've had more witnesses, more sworn testimony, more written affidavits in the last three weeks than they had three and a half damn years on Russia collusion. Where they're trying to find somebody, anybody to testify. Where they have to subpoena the people to testify. Here we have hundreds of people coming forward saying, let me tell you what I saw, it's unbelievable. And they're blown off. They're broomed off like they don't exist. Well, I I don't see uh, systemic fraud. Now, Senator Ted Cruz is a serious man. He's argued multiple court cases before the United States Supreme Court. He was also involved in the uh, 2000 election litigation that went up to the United States Supreme Court in Bush versus Gore. Why do they keep bringing these a-hole, never-Trumpers on TV, Mr. Producer, to comment on anything? Seriously. They represent 14 people in a phone booth. That's it. Anyway, uh, Ted just put out a statement, interestingly enough, specifically about the case that I talked about yesterday and Daniel Horowitz has written about today, this Supreme Court case, which is not a fraud case, in Pennsylvania. And he writes this. Today an emergency appeal was filed in the U.S. Supreme Court challenging the election results in Pennsylvania. This appeal raises serious legal issues and I believe the court should hear the case on an expedited basis. The Pennsylvania Constitution requires in-person voting except in narrow and defined circumstances. Late last year the Pennsylvania legislature passed a law that purported to allow universal mail-in voting notwithstanding the Pennsylvania Constitution's express prohibition. This appeal argues that Pennsylvania cannot change the rules in the middle of the game. If Pennsylvania wants to change how voting occurs, the state must follow the law to do so. In other words, it must follow the Constitution to do so. The illegality was compounded by a partisan Democrat Supreme Court in Pennsylvania, which has issued multiple decisions that reflect their political and ideological biases. Just over a month ago, Justice Alito, along with Justices Thomas and Gorsuch, wrote correctly, I believe, concerning the Pennsylvania court's previous decision to count ballots received after Election Day, that, quote, there's a strong likelihood that the state Supreme Court decision violates the federal Constitution. In the current appeal, the Pennsylvania Supreme Court dismissed the claim based on a legal doctrine called latches, which essentially means the plaintiffs waited too long to bring the challenge. But the plaintiffs reasonably argue that the Pennsylvania Supreme Court has not applied that doctrine consistently, and so they cannot selectively enforce it now. They actually argue that, and they argue that the Supreme Court didn't follow the state law latches elements. And moreover, they had no choice because they would have been thrown out on standing if they had filed 
before the election. We talked about that yesterday. Senator Cruz goes on. Even more persuasively, the plaintiffs point out that the Pennsylvania Supreme Court has also held that plaintiffs don't have standing to challenge an election law until after the election, meaning that the court effectively put them in a catch-22. Before the election, they lack standing. After the election, they delayed too long. Now, the result of the court's gamesmanship is that a facially unconstitutional election law can never be judicially challenged, which is what they say in their filing. Ordinarily, the U.S. Supreme Court would stay out of election disputes, especially concerning state law, but these are not ordinary times. And even more than that, there's serious federal questions here because we're talking about the selection of federal electors. And he goes on a bit. So really, Ted Cruz and Mike Lee, and Ted has enormous uh, amount of experience arguing in front of the Supreme Court, are people to be taken uh, very, very seriously when it comes to this issue. They're not just former this and former that. These are uh, men that have dirt under their nails in terms of uh, actually filing complaints and arguing complaints in front of the Supreme Court. And uh, in the case of Ted Cruz, he, he, uh, uh, he was a clerk for Chief Justice William Rehnquist. Mike Lee was a clerk also, I believe, for Scalia, but I could be wrong. So these are, these are serious men, and this case is a serious case. Now, you don't have to be optimistic that the court will take it or the court will rule the right way. Of course, that could be an issue. But that's, that's self-defeating. That's self-destructive. I personally am open to any other arguments anybody else has because the republic's on the line here. The republic's on the line. This is a very, very serious case, whatever the courts decide to do with it. Even the Commonwealth judge under the state Supreme Court, she issued an injunction, a temporary injunction. And she said it's likely the plaintiffs are going to win on the merits. She's totally schooled in Pennsylvania law and the Constitution. Didn't mean she had a potential remedy figured out. But that's something the state legislature, in the end, Congress, would have to deal with. The courts don't even have to figure out a remedy. But here's the thing, ladies and gentlemen. This isn't going to go away. As I keep saying over and over, week after week, the change, the unconstitutional change that took place, multiple changes, in Pennsylvania are still there. They're still there. And the election board and the Secretary of State and all the rest of them are are going to continue to operate under them. In the next presidential election, we'll never win Pennsylvania if this isn't resolved. Just like we'll never win Georgia or Michigan or Wisconsin. We've turned into California. Now some of us get it. Some of us understand what the hell's going on here. And it's serious. And honestly, I'm outraged that here we have a witness who was a temporary contractor brought in to work on the Dominion voting system. The words coming out of her mouth, what she says on the record, publicly in front of a 
Michigan State Committee. Where's the United States attorney here? The attorney general just said, we have no evidence of systemic fraud that could overturn this election. Do you have any evidence of systemic fraud at all? No, no, we don't. I told you what took place in Delaware County, Pennsylvania. I have the email. I have a copy of it right in my hand. The U.S. attorney wouldn't even look at it. Would not even look at it. I didn't make it up. You have a witness here in Michigan saying what happened for 27 hours. Has anybody in federal law enforcement interviewed her? Not one person has interviewed her. Not one. What a damn shame. What a damn shame. I'll be right back. Mark Levin. As we enter the Christmas season, most of us stop to consider our many blessings. Well, Hillsdale College wishes to thank you for standing with them as they celebrate over 175 years of blessings. Since 1844, Hillsdale has held fast to its mission to provide the kind of education essential to preserving free government. And for decades, the college has extended its educational mission on behalf of liberty through a variety of outreach programs. Perhaps you receive in Primus for free every month or have taken one of Hillsdale's excellent free online courses or have attended one of Hillsdale's free regional events. Now, you know of Hillsdale's refusal to take even one penny of government money. This independence allows the college to focus on promoting promoting its core purposes, learning, character, faith, and freedom, without any government interference. At no time in our nation's history has there been a greater need for the kind of classical liberal arts education that Hillsdale offers on its campus and nationwide. So during this season of blessings, Hillsdale thanks you for your partnership in extending its mission to the country. To learn more about Hillsdale College, visit levinforhillsdale.com. That's L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com, levinforhillsdale.com. Everybody in Washington hates me. This is why all the phony frauds and analysts, legal analysts, that's why they hate me. Because I call it as I see it. My connection is with you, Levinites, my audience, not with them. And by the way, I notice I have a new name. It's not on my birth certificate, though. It's Wright-Wing Mark Levin. Did you know my first name is Wright-Wing, Mr. Producer? Not conservative, not constitutionalist. Wright-Wing. So if you support liberty and individualism, if you support the Declaration and the Constitution, if you come on here and you talk philosophy and history and facts and court cases and so forth, and you don't throw in with a neo-Marxist and Marxist at the Washington Compost and CBS News and the New York Slimes and all the rest of them, you're right wing, you see. But if you're Bernie Sanders, you're left of center. And if you're Joe Biden, you're a moderate. Right wing. These are the propagandists with the big lie. These are the Holocaust deniers and the cover-up artists. Disgusting. Loathsome sleazeballs. It's true. 
Oh, I see my friend uh, Sean Hannity on Twitter. Ari Fleischer is writing a new book he writes called Broken, the story of the mainstream media's decline from liberal bias to an all-out effort to put its finger on the skin. Mr. Bidus, would you send a copy of my book, Unfreedom of the Press, to Ari? I don't think I've ever spoken to Ari or met Ari. I don't believe so. Didn't I write this book already? A year and a half ago. Now everybody's writing. Unfreedom of the Press. Called them out a year and a half ago. In every way conceivable. That's why it was a massive bestseller, because you folks read it. You were interested in it. After the fact, it's a little late. No offense. Told you, they all love me. In about a half hour, we'll have James O'Keefe from Project Veritas. It's my understanding at the top of the hour, he's going to release and begin releasing in the next few days some of the... uh, some of the recordings he has of Jeff Motherzucker talking to his senior staff and reporters about what it is that they're supposed to cover. Because Jeff Motherzucker, even though he's a big-time executive, reaches all the way down into the newsroom to tell his reporters what to do, apparently. So we will have uh, our friend James O'Keefe on, exclusive after the release of the tapes, We'll hold on to those tapes, Mr. Producer, until he's on the program, and we will make them available. I believe there's two of them at this point, correct? There's actually one. Uh, We've broken it up into two that we will play, and we will have James's uh, uh, commentary as we play it. Now, I would suggest to U.S. attorneys around the country, there are hundreds of affidavits that have been appended to dozens of lawsuits filed in the civil court. Have you looked at any of them? The Attorney General of the United States has made a bold statement that the department has seen no evidence of systemic fraud that would change the results of the election. You know, it's interesting, ladies and gentlemen, you don't even need systemic fraud. You can have fraud with machine mistakes, human mistakes, in races where you have 20,000 votes separating the two candidates, or 14,000 or 12,000 votes separating the two candidates. In the case of Pennsylvania, where there is a case alleging significant violations of the Equal Protection Clause, and Rudy's been handling this case, the case that I've been talking about, and Senator Cruz has now posted, and Daniel Horowitz has written about, is not even a case brought by the Trump campaign. It's brought by Congressman Mike Kelly, a courageous man. It's brought by Sean Parnell, a candidate, another courageous man, a hero at all times, and six other plaintiffs. So that's not even brought by the campaign. Now imagine if we had serious people writing at these so-called conservative sites, serious people on TV as legal analysts, that went through these various cases and actually discussed them. You don't hear any of that. Instead, you hear, I don't know, that's a tough one. I don't know about that one. I I don't know, like I predicted. From the Westwood One Podcast Network. He's here. He's here. 
now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, America. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877 The Daily Wire. Officials from Trump's historic Operation Warp Speed reveal stunning timeline for vaccine rollout. This is really unparalleled in, in American history, any history what was done with this Operation Warp Speed. Absolutely unparalleled. And the President of the United States, a result of this Operation Warp Speed, his Operation Warp Speed, will wind up saving millions of lives, not just in the United States, but all over the world. There's no way Joe Biden or any Democrat administration can pull this off, because it's ideology first. They'd be nationalizing companies, They'd be uh, running in circles, Keystone Cops. They had their shot at the swine flu, which was much less of a threat than this turned out to be. Two top officials in President Trump's Operation Warp Speed delivered highly optimistic news. A series of interviews yesterday. Two vaccines, one from Moderna and one from Pfizer, have been developed in historic time. Thanks to Trump's Operation Warp Speed, both have an efficacy rate of over 94%. Dr. Monsef Slawi, the scientific head of Operation Warp Speed, a scientist, told Fox News Monday night that the vaccines have, quote, almost perfect efficacy against severe disease. Think about that. So we're also producing a few millions of doses of vaccine in preparation for approval. Both vaccines have now been submitted to the FDA for emergency use authorization. Expected around the 11th or so of December for Pfizer, around the 18th or 19th from the Moderna vaccine. He said, hopefully we will start rolling vaccine doses. However, it's very important to know that the number of doses have is limited compared to the size of the need. We need 600 million doses. Everybody needs to get two shots of the vaccine. It's going to take a while, a few months, before we're able to produce enough vaccine to immunize the full population. There will be between 35 and 40 million doses, enough to immunize about 20 million people. Think about that. Immediately. And he added that he thinks that herd immunity will be achieved by May or June of 2021. Another one, in other words, we're going to have mass immunizations through April and May. And then he believes by May or June we're going to have herd immunity. In other words will still need to have vaccines in the future and therapeutics in the future, but it will no longer be in a pandemic. In an interview on MSNBC, Lieutenant General Paul Ostrowski, retired, the director of Operation Warp Speed Supply, said every American who wants the vaccine will have already gotten it by June. 100% of Americans who want the vaccine will have had the vaccine by June. We will have over 300 million doses available to the American public Well before then, and despite the chaos and day-to-day politics and fighting over issues like masks and lockdowns, Operation Warp Speed, the government's agreement to subsidize vaccine companies, clinical trials, and manufacturing costs, appears to have been working with a remarkable efficiency. That's the New York Times in October. 
It has put more than $11 billion into seven vaccine candidates. And the FDA has said it will approve anyone that's at least 50% effective at preventing infection and reducing its severity. And the report noted the U.S. was faring much better than it did during the Spanish influenza, which cost 675,000 Americans their lives, adding the country's population at the time was 103 million. That's equivalent to 2 million dead today. Events have moved faster than I thought possible. I've become cautiously optimistic, New York Times science reporter Daniel McNeil wrote. Experts are saying with genuine confidence the pandemic in the United States will be over far sooner than they expected, possibly by the middle of next year. It'll be over by June or July of 2021. And this is the damn shame of it all. The man who was in charge of the whole thing, under attack, one coup effort after another, impeachment effort, Criminal investigation effort, smear effort like we've never seen in American history by the media and the Democrats and academia, by the culture in Hollywood. Meanwhile, first mass air shipment of Pfizer COVID vaccine arrives as airplanes prepare for more. The FAA said it supported the first mass air shipment of COVID-19 vaccines as pharmaceutical companies and airlines prepare networks for fraud uh, a broad distribution. So what are they doing? They're already pre-positioning the vaccines, because there's millions of them, millions of units, for where they need to go. So when the FDA is done, within hours, they're going to start vaccinating people. Ahead of the approvals, pharmaceutical companies, airlines, and other parts of the supply chain are preparing for distribution once regulators give a green light. A vast network that will include cold storage to preserve the vaccines. The Pfizer vaccine has to be something like 70 below zero. The Moderna has to be like 32 degrees or something like that. This is what happens when you have a businessman who wants to get things done and is apolitical to get things done. Pfizer's vaccine requires a storage temperature actually of minus 94 degrees Fahrenheit. And so you've got to come up with facilities to handle that. And when you're transporting it, you have to keep it 94 degrees Fahrenheit. So all of this had to be plotted. All this had to be strategized. By comparison, Moderna has said its vaccine remains stable at 36 to 46 degrees Fahrenheit. The standard of a home uh, medical refrigerator for up to 30 days can be stored for up to six months at negative four degrees Fahrenheit. This is so fantastic. It's so fantastic. Several vaccines need continued cold temperatures during transport, which in some circumstances require dry ice, a hazardous material, the FAA said in a statement. The FAA is working with manufacturers, air carriers, airport authorities to provide guidance on implementing current regulatory requirements for safely transporting large quantities of dry ice and air cargo. Yeah, because they're moving 20 to 40 million units. And it goes on in the Trump administration. And yet, here we go. The Chicago Sun-Times. A group of minority leaders gathered Sunday to urge members of Congress and Governor J.B. Pritzker, this is Illinois, to prioritize the distribution of any coronavirus vaccine to black and brown communities hit by the pandemic. 
Quote, we're sick and tired of being sick and tired, and we're asking and demanding that we have a sense of trust by allowing us to be considered to be first when it comes to distribution, said pastor. What is with these pastors? Pastor John Harrell of the Proviso Baptist Church in Maywood. The speakers, who included State Representative LaShawn Ford, acknowledged that any vaccine would first be doled out to other high-risk groups, like healthcare professionals, essential workers, those at a higher risk of infection, and the elderly. Meanwhile, many in the African-American and Latino communities remain wary of inoculation and medical establishment at large. You can thank the Democrats for this. You can thank the, the demagogues like Al Sharpton and others for this. And now we're going to have a race fight over who gets this first? the hell is this country coming to? This is the most positive thing, probably nationwide in a lifetime. What this country has accomplished with the proper leadership, let's just be honest. And race and ethnicity may be deciding factors. Here is the Washington Examiner. Race and ethnicity could be the deciding factors in determining whether essential workers will be second in line for vaccination for the novel coronavirus. Defenders of this position say COVID-19 harms a higher percentage of racial and ethnic minority. I am so sick of this. Did they have this battle when it came to the polio vaccine? Did they have this battle in 2008-9 over the swine flu? I'm sick of the race baiters. Let me speak to my fellow human beings, regardless of your race, who don't buy into all this identity politics. The people who should get it first are the people who are administering to the ill. They need to be healthy. The people who should get it second are the people who have suffered the most. The elderly and the people with comorbidities. That's number one. That's number two. The people who should get it third are the first responders. Because they have no choice but to be around a lot of people. The people who should get it last, of course, are Antifa and their ilk. Because they're perfectly fine. They're running around without masks. They're okay. Takamio and Cuomo, the dumbo, he's out there. Everything's fine with them. So apparently they should get it last. I'll be right back. in. In today's digital age, where cyber threats loom larger than ever, safeguarding your personal information is paramount. So why is Congress considering a law that could put your credit card data at greater risk of being hacked and exposed to foreign networks? This Durbin Marshall credit card bill could jeopardize your financial data, make it more susceptible to cyber intrusions. It's a controversial bill that proposes a shift in billions of dollars worth of consumer transactions to payment networks, that lack the robust security measures consumers rely on. Who could possibly want that? Well, the answer, woke corporate megastores seeking to inflate their multi-billion dollar profit margins. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill will undermine our safe and convenient payment systems and endanger your data security. It's time to take a stand. Visit electronicpaymentscoalition.org. Make your voice heard. Tell your senators to oppose the radical Durbin Marshall credit card bill paid for by the Electronic Payments Coalition. This is Radio Free America. 
and one of the uh, guests we like among the top guests we have here, James O'Keefe, Project Veritas. He's a very courageous patriot. And is he truly real investigative reporter? Imagine that. James, how are you, sir? Hey, Mark. Great to be with you. Well, we have millions and millions of people who are sitting on the edge of their chair. Now, tell us what it is that, that you've uncovered and what you did before we play. Uh, we have one clip. We've broken it into two pieces involving Jeff Zucker, the head muckety-muck at CNN. He's even bigger than that. Uh, and I understand uh, we're the first to play this. Not that I have to have an exclusive, but I think it's very, very important that it get out there. So I'll, I'll step back and you, you provide the narrative here. What took place here? Thanks, Mark. Well, we, we had a brave insider, someone on the inside of CNN, provide us with some information, and we were able to get recordings of all of CNN's calls for for about two months, and we recorded these calls, and uh, you have all of you have Jeff Zucker, the president of CNN, and all the network brass talking amongst themselves at 9 a.m. on these editorial calls every day about how they shape the news, and you hear a lot of micromanagement from CNN president Jeff Zucker talking about Trump, talking about how to cover the news, uh, uh, shaping the news, and you kind of get a real insight into how the sausage is made. So there's a few clips we're releasing tonight. We're going to be releasing clips uh, daily. We have a lot of tape uh, showing how, how the news business works, Mark, because we need to expose the media. The media, government is downstream from the media, and we have to report on what our, what our people and our media are doing to propagandize the American people. So that's why we think this is important, and you're about to hear some, just a couple clips that we're releasing tonight. So, James O'Keefe, so CNN doesn't operate by... Go out there, fellas and gals, find out what the news of the day is. Try to be as impartial and objective as you can. Come back. We'll go through and prioritize it, and then we'll provide it to the public. It's the head of CNN, the corporate boss, the executive, Zucker, who is a left-wing Democrat. He's driving the news all the way down to the reporter's desk? Yes, that, that is correct. Based upon what we're hearing in these calls, the president of the, of the company is directing the narrative. And that's, you know, I run an organization that does journalism, and I can't tell my reporters what the story is going to be. It's not about narrative. It's about what the fact, where the facts lead you. But what he, here he's doing is he's saying, this is the story. This is not a story. We need to focus on this. Don't air that. Don't focus on that. We've got to nail Lindsey Graham. He deserves it. That's a direct quote from, from, Lindsay, uh, from uh, Jeff Zucker on the call. Um, he's kind of directing his people on what to focus on and what not to focus on. And I, this does not shock you, but it is one of the first times we've actually been able to hear it inside their office with all of their vice presidents and all of their, you know, their, their CEOs saying it. So does this help explain the, the incredible aggressiveness of their reporters, the various ages? Some of them are very young. When they confront the president at a press conference, they feel their backs are going to be covered. In fact, they feel that they're doing the work that Jeff Zucker wants them to do. Yeah, I think so. I mean, the, the calls are pretty self-evident that he is a um, he is a benevolent dictator at CNN. He he directs the show. I mean, he, I would even say, Mark, that some people at CNN would even characterize him as a good leader in a leadership sense, but I wouldn't necessarily characterize him as a good leader in a journalistic sense. So he's a commander. He tells people what to do, tells them what news to cover, tells them what stories they're going to do and not do. I just think that's very unusual for a corporate president of a media company to be behaving in that way. It's not, it's not journalism. It's not any journalism I'm aware of, because, again, I can't tell my reporters in the field 
I can't tell them what not to do. If they're seeing something that's factual and evident, they should report it. And that's not really what you hear on these phone calls. Well, I'll be honest with you. I do that one show on Sunday on Fox. I have never, ever had a producer, a senior executive, <clears throat> tell me what to do. I've never spoken to Lachlan Murdoch. I spoke to Rupert Murdoch once in my life when he wanted to talk to me about possibly doing a show. Not once since. So nobody has ever told me even what to say, what to focus on, what the issues should be, who I can bring on, who I can't bring on. And then I watch this guy, Brian Stelter, on Sundays, I guess. I don't watch him. I watch the clips. I actually have a life. And the way he, he is myopically focused on Fox and conservative talk radio day in and day out. So that's not just him, is it? That's the top. Uh, this is the vice president. There's one clip here, vice president of CNN, Marcus Mabry speaking with Zucker. They're having this back and forth about white supremacist Fox News. It's unavo- quote, it's unavoidable. You have to uh, talk about the naked racism of Tucker because this drove this anti-diversity. Trump watches Tucker Carlson show white supremacy hour on Fox. You know, you can't disconnect the two. Jeff Zucker says we can't normalize Trump. We can't cover Trump. You see this just it, it's I mean, the chirons on CNN are ridiculous. So I don't think this is going to shock people, but we have to understand in this country that an informed population is necessary for the intelligent exercise of our rights and duties. And that consent that we get as people needs to be informed. It can't be manufactured. It can't be fake. And this is manufactured consent. They're just spitting out vitriol and narrative. They're not giving you anything factual. These phone calls prove it. Mr. Producer, do I have time to play Cut 19? Here is Cut 19, what, uh, what James was just talking about. Go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say, if you're going to talk about the story, I think it's unavoidable that you have to talk about the naked racism of Tucker Carlson. Because that's really what drove this anti-diversity push. You know, Trump watches Tucker Carlson show and then reacts. Um, and just sort of the white supremacy hour they have on Fox News every night, uh, I think it's, you, you can't disconnect the two. What Donald Trump did last night, for anybody who watches Fox News, he was just airing all of the grievances he hears on Fox News every night. And that's all And that second one was Jeff Zucker. And it's interesting, uh, James O'Keefe, we know the Democrats watch CNN and MSNBC, and the the talking points are intermingled. You can't separate the two. Uh, And this whole thing about white supremacy that they are pushing, then the Democrats pick it up. Media Matters has been pushing it and so forth. Is this a circle that is, is, if not wittingly, unwittingly working together? Well, this is, and to answer your question, Mark, Stephanie Becker, CNN field producer, is, there's so much tape here, we're going to release it a little bit at a time, dole it out, uh, but Stephanie Becker is, there's an interesting quote from one of the calls we just released, and Stephanie's saying that um, she's basically quoting the establishment, and she says, they tell us what we can't or cannot cover, so they're being fed their narrative by their sources in the establishment. So yeah, I, I want to pick it up right great. here, James. I want to carry this over the bottom of the hour. I don't want to miss a syllable. So stick with us. Audience, you got to listen to this. This is compelling, and I've got another clip for you that's two and a half minutes. We'll be right back. is Radio Free America on The Mark Levin Show. Call now, 877-381-3811. James O'Keefe, Project Veritas. 
you know, they do what the old 60 Minutes used to do, except they're actually politically straight about it. And uh, we have James with us. You were talking about Stephanie Becker, a CNN field producer, one of the, one of the senior uh, management there. And I want the folks to listen to this audio. You're going to hear Stephanie Becker, and then you're going to hear Jeff Zucker, president of CNN. Jeff Zucker is in every one of these clips, so he really is wielding an axe over his uh, employees. And then we're going to have James comment on it. Cut 17, go. On the issue of why it's important to get the transition going right, um, the 9-11 report talks about one of the problems was that this the, 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 the trouble that was brewing got lost during the transition. So if you want a good concrete example of what happens when you don't have a good transition, go look at the Twin Towers. Yeah. So I think that's an important point. Um, uh, I think it was just a little bit yesterday in terms of national security. I think it's really uh, important to raise again. I, I, would, I would encourage folks to think about you know, that 9-11 commission report and the lack of transition. Now, James O'Keefe, this is amazing. First of all, they never thought about that in 2016. That's obvious when they were trashing the current president of the United States for four years, but certainly even before the transition. So they weren't worried about the 9-11 report then. But notice how what CNN did resonated throughout the media. So this really does come from Jeff Zucker, doesn't it? It does. It does, uh, Mark. And and one of the things that uh, one of the things that that, that uh, Stephanie Becker and Jamie Gangle, this special correspondent, this is on the phone call, my name with Jeff Zucker, is they say, quote, they don't want us to exaggerate that Trump uh, isn't leaving office. And by they, uh, CNN is taking orders from from special interests and political party officials. They're they're, they're literally taking orders from these people in the government. So Zucker suppresses some news and hypes other things. And CNN is literally a powerful ideological institution that carries out this system-supported propaganda function, relying on these assumptions and their connections to their, you know, these, these people that are giving them these orders. So the president, and you know, you know this goes on at the New York Times and the Washington Post, and you know this goes on at MSNBC and NBC, CBS and ABC, you know, these, these people are fungible. They move in and out of these various corporate uh, newsrooms and so forth. So it really is, you know, some of us have written books about this stuff. What you've done is you've really put meat on this. So people can say, wait a minute, this is true. This really takes place. I want to play what you just mentioned, Jane, Jamie Gangle, the CNN special correspondent. Cut 16, go. I just want to underscore something that Michael said earlier about the transition and Trump, because I've been talking to a lot of people this morning on both sides, and I just keep hearing the same thing, folks from Republicans who have not come out to congratulate Biden, but, uh, but also to those who have in the Democrats, and that is that we have to be, you know, news organizations be very careful and very responsible about not giving Trump too much of a platform on his not conceding, because they feel the transition can go forward. And, you know, other than the national security briefings, which are critical to start now, 
they just don't want us to exaggerate that Trump isn't leaving office. And I'm going to have a lot of specific reporting on that later today. But just big picture wanted to underscore what Michael had said. Yep. Agreed. Yep, agreed, Zucker. So they have to get a confirmation agreement from Zucker. What is she trying to say there that you can tell, James? Well, we're, we hear these folks refer to a, quote, they. Who is the they? And why would CNN represent their interest? That is to say the, the security officials, the Democratic Party. They don't want us to talk about this. And Zucker says, yes, I agree. It's no longer about reasonable editorial judgment. It's about explicit viewpoint suppression and viewpoint promotion via a symbiotic relationship between CNN and the powers that be. And all of this is like not shocking to your audience, I know, but it is proof. It is that it, you are literally a fly on the wall on their 9 a.m. editorial calls and the revolving door between the Democratic administration and these media positions. But to hear them on the call, to hear the president of the company – uh, you know, authorizing this sort of thing, he should have Zucker should have pushed back. I mean, if I'm an ethical newsman and I'm the CEO of a news company, I push back when when my correspondent says stuff like that, and and he doesn't. But I mean, even, even though the audience knows and it's very well informed here that the media are biased, that they support the Democrats, that they have a left wing ideological mindset for the most part. To hear it is something else. To literally hear it is something else. And you see the end product, we're the end user, and we hear what a Jake Tapper says, or a Don Lemon says, or a Cuomo, or the rest of them. And the audience needs to understand that at least the the general push is coming from one man, Jeff Zucker. He's destroyed CNN, hasn't he? I think so. I think he's turned it into an entertainment, you know, show. Uh, you know, Zucker could have said said to her, "We don't take orders from our political masters," and um, the CNN the CNN news desk is now an entertainment show, or like ESPN, or a trading you know trading desk, trading media hype for access to power. Mark, and by the way, we have some news here. As I'm on the radio with you, CNN Communications tweeted out, "Quote: Legal experts say this may be a felony. We've referred it to law enforcement." Now, I have a team of over a dozen lawyers at Project Veritas, as you can imagine. I've been sued a lot. I've won every single lawsuit, Mark. I've never lost a lawsuit at Project Veritas. As a reporter, hmm. I mean, the irony of CNN threatening me for reporting on what they're doing is really unbelievable, Mark. Well, maybe all the other news groups that came to uh, Jim Acosta's defense, preposterously, uh, while CNN still had half a dozen reporters at the White House, but Acosta was thrown out for interrupting the... Uh... Mark Lovin. You can tell this show isn't taped. It's live and uh, sometimes quite ugly. You know, G. Gordon Liddy, James O'Keefe, used to say uh, many years ago that he had 1950s East German equipment. I think I inherited his equipment, uh, nonetheless. And I I apologize to the audience and you for that technical glitch. I want to get back to this. Jeff Sucker, you know what's interesting, uh, James O'Keefe, Project Veritas, they create a reality. And it's not just them, the New York Times, the Washington Post. I was talking earlier today 
on this program. I have a new first name, James. It's called Right Wing. Right Dash Wing. That's my first name everywhere. Right Winger, Mark Levin. Not a right winger. I'm a constitutionalist. I'm a, doesn't matter. I'm a right winger. I want to play this other clip, but do you think the media have become in so many ways propaganda operations rather than news organizations? Yeah, Mark, I mean, with overt propaganda, like in the Soviet Union, um, people knew they were being lied to. And I think in the United States, I think these days, I think a lot of people don't know. And I think, just like in the 1984 book by George Orwell, freedom is the freedom to say that 2 plus 2 equals 4. And these entities, these organizations, propaganda is now profitable. People are saying 2 plus 2 equals 5. So my mission is to just show people that 2 plus 2 equals 4 and and uh, to your point, there's certainly propaganda. They're certainly um, working with the powers that be, working with the establishment. They're trying to interpret data. They're drawing conclusions, not showing us facts. And you can see the president of CNN, Jeff Zucker, on these calls, directing everyone, his vice presidents, his editorial staff, directing them what, what is the story, what is the narrative. It's, not, it's unlike anything that we've ever seen before. Not one person in the room pushes back on that man. Not one. My staff pushes back on me all the time. Mm-hmm. They tell me, James, this is the story. This is the facts. And you got the president of CNN telling people what the story is. That is the definition of propaganda. We have a two-and-a-half-minute clip here, Jeff Zucker. Uh, and I want, I want the public to hear this. So up the volume, everybody. Two-and-a-half minutes, and we're going to get uh, James O'Keefe's input. Go ahead. Okay. I, I just want to reemphasize that, uh, you know, I think we we cannot normalize what has happened here uh, in the last week with Trump and his behavior. And I, I go back to what David said, David Chalian said, that this is a president who knows he's losing, who knows he's in trouble, uh, is sick, maybe is uh, on, on uh, the after effects of steroids or not. I don't know. But he is acting erratically and desperately. And we we need to uh, 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 we need to we need to not normalize that. You know, this is what we've come to expect uh, for the last three and a half years, four years. But it clearly is exacerbated by uh, the time that we're in and the issues that he's dealing with. And I think that we cannot just let let it be normalized. He is all over the place and acting erratically. And I think we need to lean into that. The, 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 the Trump media, uh, you know, moves immediately from, okay, well, never mind that unmasking was, you know, uh, found to be completely nonsensical to, to the latest uh, uh, alleged scandal and uh, expect everybody to just follow suit. So uh, I, I don't think that we should be repeating unsubstantiated smears uh, just because the right-wing media suggests that we should. Frankly, if we've made any mistake, it's that our banners have been too uh, polite, and, and we need to go well after Lindsey Graham. There's a ton going on. Let's stay strong. Let's stay newsy. Let's stay urgent. Let's, let's uh, be smart. There is uh, a lot of news out there, and uh, Lindsey Graham really deserves it. Each of these so-called handles for Trump, each of these things, we should just once again be careful to say that this is the one that uh, is going to undo him with his voters. We're- and-
and to respond to uh, David Chalian's uh, uh, points about politics. Um, I don't know why we would expect any of these politicians to have a conscience and or expect that politics wouldn't be completely hypocritical. And for us to expect anything else would be naive. So I'm taking notes here, James O'Keefe, Project Veritas. The attack on Trump's mental health, and you hear this all over CNN all the time. He's erratic, he's unstabilized, he's unstable, and he's maybe sick from the steroids, he's desperate. The trashing of Lindsey Graham, I can hear them trying to cover up the Hunter Biden scandal. Um, This man has enormous power to pretend that he's running a news organization that these hosts are are puppets they don't think for themselves they regurgitate his general talking points that this is happening every single day of the week and i'm sure it's not just with him i'm sure it's happening these other news organizations i cannot tell you how important this is what you're exposing here it's one thing for me to talk about it and to infer it it's another thing to hear it. This guy's diabolical as far as I'm concerned. Your comments. Well, Mark, I think, you know, propaganda is to a republic what the bludgeon is to a totalitarian state. And the investigative reporter, which is what I am, is, um, is the propagandist's natural enemy. And in this case, you heard on that call them say normalize. Normalize is a term he says, but who gets to define what's normal? Why not simply show people the facts? Why, why, that's, what, that's what we do. We just play tapes. So why don't, why don't they just tell the people what the reality is and not, quote, we need to not normalize that or we need to go after Lindsey Graham or we need to not lean into this particular narrative. It's very powerful to hear them say this, and we see it reflected in the coverage. That's dangerous. That's health speculation. People were flirting with the 25th Amendment. So I think it goes back to this whole philosophy that, you know, at CNN that – they think that there's that people are not smart enough to handle political economic reality that it has to be interpreted they have to draw conclusions about everything they have to have an invisible government and, the, and their media allies uh you know you know use conjecture so it's time it's time for an information revolution mark it's time for your audience the millions of people out there what can i do they all say what can i do what can i do hey one one of you guys out there was the one who fed me this you work inside organizations, Google, Facebook, CNN. You see something that's unconscionable, Veritas tips at ProtonMail.com. Do something about it. The, the, we have to do the journalism, and, and we, we have to do it ourselves at this point. We can't rely upon the powers that be to do it. What is your general website? We, we posted it on my social sites, but I want the nation to hear it. What is your website? projectveritas.com uh, projectveritas.com backslash brave you can get involved you can donate we're a non-profit organization but most importantly if you are on the inside and there are a lot of people right now really good people who are upset at what's happening in this country and they want to blow the whistle and they're patriots and that's what happened in this case mark people on the inside were upset we need more people like this. These are the heroes. We're, my job is to serve them. We will protect you. We will defend you. We've never lost a lawsuit because we don't break the law. 
And it's very important that I think that people out there in this country stand up and blow the whistle on what is happening. Now, during one of these calls, you decided to speak up. Tell us what happened there when uh, Jeff Sucker heard, heard from you. That was this morning. I uh, decided to live stream me calling into the call myself personally. And uh, Jeff Sucker was, this is pretty, you know, high comedy if you haven't seen it. It's got a few million views this morning. I say, hey, Jeff, it's James O'Keefe. And he, he's just shell-shocked. I was hoping to engage him. He responded by saying, well, thank you for your remarks, James. I think we need to get a different dial-in. <laughs> it was pretty amazing. And they kind of, they kind of uh, sat around and in shock and awe that we had recorded their calls. So, uh, and again, like I said, CNN Communications has issued a tweet saying legal experts say that this may be a felony, and they're referring my actions to law enforcement, Mark. Uh, it's obviously ridiculous, and the fact that a news organization would be threatening me with arrest for reporting on what they're saying. Well, and doing I expect is- all the other news organizations in America to circle their wagons and defend you. I'm sure they will. Yeah, right. Well, James, I really want to thank you for coming on the program here. Millions of people have heard this. I want folks to support you financially so you can continue to do this. You're not on the government dole. You don't get any subsidies or anything of the sort. People have to support what you do, and I hope people will do exactly that. Give us your website one more time. It's Project Veritas. That's Project, V-E-R-I-T-A-S dot com. And the email, if you're a tipster, if you're an insider, is VeritasTips at ProtonMail.com. VeritasTips at ProtonMail.com. Send us your tips. Send us your brave insiders who can blow the whistle on these institutions. We will tell your stories. And trust me, there aren't many other places to go that will tell stories like this except Project uh, Veritas. You're sure, you're sure right about that. God bless you, my friend. Keep up the great work. Thank you, Mark. All right. Be well. That was fascinating. Fascinating listening in on that. And you know the funny thing? If somebody were taping my discussions at Fox with my producers, you wouldn't hear any of this. You'd hear me telling them what I plan to do. And I'm not even a news guy. I'm a commentary guy, right? I give my opinion. Absolutely unbelievable how corrupt and cancerous CNN and the rest of these groups are. I'll be right back. From the Westwood One Podcast Network. Ladies and gentlemen, this final hour of the podcast is sponsored exclusively by AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens. Now over 2 million conservative members strong, AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we care about, faith, family, and freedom. Thank you for listening, and please support AMAC. And you can become a member at amac.us slash join. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, America. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877 That was remarkable, wasn't it? James O'Keefe, Project Veritas. Now you know how damn corrupt the news really is. It's absolutely disgusting. Absolutely awful. And you know the same thing goes on at all these left-wing networks. Look, look at this Joe Scarborough on the morning schmo. 
It's the only place where a guy as stupid and goofy looking and a reprobate to boot can, can host any show. Now here is, is what he has to say on the morning schmoke. Cut seven, go. I thought the Republicans were being hurt by uh, all of the crazy things Donald Trump was saying before the election. Here's a guy that wouldn't guarantee. So let's stop right here. All the crazy things Trump is saying. The man who is responsible for saving millions of lives. Project Warp Speed. And I'm sure that Joe and his not better half will both be using the vaccines one day. One day soon. So here this obsessed buffoon. This failure at radio, failure at Congress, really failure at TV, is pontificating, burping up the usual platitudes. And I want to tell you what's going on in Joe Scarborough's Democrat Party. And notice, he doesn't lead with this, he doesn't discuss this as far as I know on the morning schmo. Rashida Talib. Rashida Talib is of Palestinian descent. She's a Jew hater. She can barely control herself. She is part of that group that the media promote, that the media think are so cool. She just got elected to her second term. The Free Beacon points it out. Representative Rashida Tlaib scrubbed the tweet on Monday that included an anti-Semitic phrase often used by terrorist groups that seek the destruction of Israel. Steve King is no longer in Congress because of something he said. And he was stripped of his committee assignments. He was shamed, and I happen to agree with it all. But Rashida Tlaib doesn't even receive mention on MSNBC, on CNN, or anywhere else as far as I know. This is a woman who represents a major district in Detroit, Michigan. Screenshots from the Internet Archive's Wayback Machine show that Tlaib retweeted a Saturday post That included a graphic promoting Palestinian solidarity and the phrase, quote, from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. Now, what does that mean, the river to the sea? It means the Jordan River to the Mediterranean Sea. So that means Israel must be destroyed. It must be wiped out, blown off the face of the earth. The Palestinian Liberation Organization, Hamas and Hezbollah, as pointed out by the Free Beacon, regularly used the phrase as a rallying cry against the Jewish state. Hezbollah leader Hassan Nasrallah used the phrase and remarks in which he has called Israel a cancerous growth that needs to be destroyed. Now, Talib deleted the controversial tweet after critics slammed her and did the same as recently as last January after she blamed Israelis for the death of a Palestinian child who had slipped and drowned in a pond 
prompting accusations from an Israel government official that she was spreading a blood libel. This woman would look very, very good in a 1930s German outfit. Wouldn't she, Mr. Producer? In 2018, Professor Mark Lamont Hill lost his position at CNN as a contributor. And by the way, not right away. There had to be a lot of pressure for parroting the Hamas rallying cry, and several Jewish groups were upset about it. Talib has faced criticism for anti-Semitic behavior before. In August, she criticized the Biden campaign for disavowing anti-Semitic activist Linda Sarsour. Talib also opposed the Trump administration's efforts to bring the United States and Israel closer. Have you heard a damn thing about this from anybody? Where's Jake Tapper? Wolf Blister's parents or grandparents suffered in the Holocaust. He doesn't even talk about this. That's how grotesque he is. Jeff Zucker is Jewish. I mean, at least in name. This doesn't bother him at all. He says nothing. Why? Because, as my wife likes to say, because the religion is liberalism. Their synagogue is the Democrat Party. And it's not just them. Has a single host at CNN or MSNBC stood up and spoken out about this? Not one. For that matter, I haven't heard it anywhere on cable TV. How about the Holocaust-denying New York Times or the Holocaust-denying Washington Post? Wouldn't this be front-page stuff, ladies and gentlemen? Shouldn't they go to Joe Biden the way they harassed our president over and over again and say, Joe, look at all these anti-Semites in your party. Will you denounce anti-Semitism, Joe Biden? And he should be asked it over and over and over again. And look, look at the people he would pick should he become president. Not a single pro-Israel would-be appointee among them. Not one. Then we have this. Free Beacon Adam Credo. Top Sanders aide accuses Israel of terrorism. What are they talking about? Why am I bringing this up to you? Because this is a smart audience. And what happens when you get into identity politics and you move closer and closer closer to the Marxist uh, ideal, ladies and gentlemen, you begin to see very dangerous fissures in a society. You see it in New York in the Brooklyn community where the Hasidic Jews are, and you see how the Democrats and the liberals are targeting the Hasidic Jews. A Marxist, like DiCamio, a leftist, like Cuomo. Not Antifa, not Black Lives Matter. Not all these other businesses that are essential. But if you're Jewish and you want to go to a funeral and there's more than 10 of you, you're going to be punished. You want to go to a wedding and there's more than 10 of you, you're going to be punished. If we see a lot of cars parked outside your house, we're going to knock on the door. We're going to go inside. You're going to be punished. All have the ring of the Third Reich in the 1930s. That's right, I'll say it. Damn it, I'll say it. 
And it's coming from one party and one ideology. Now, the head nuclear scientist, the madman in Iran, who has cheated and lied along with the Islamo-Nazi regime in Tehran to advance their nuclear armament program, their nuclear armament program, lost his life. He was killed. Whomever killed him, it was a great moral act for humanity. A great moral act for humanity that has the potential of saving millions of lives. A great moral act for humanity. And yet a top aide to Senator Bernie Sanders accused Israel of terrorism following the assassination of an Iranian nuclear scientist and military official believed to be instrumental in Tehran's nuclear weapons program. I could have sworn Obama and Biden and all the other throwbacks told us there wasn't a nuclear weapons program. I thought this was always to make it warmer in the desert because they needed heat. Matt Dust, D-U-S-S, a Sanders foreign policy advisor and frequent critic of Israel and Jews, wrote on Twitter that incoming President Joe Biden should re-enter the landmark nuclear deal with Iran, offered billions of dollars in sanctions relief to send a message to Israel, quote, that terrorism doesn't work, unquote. Mohsen Farazadeh was the head Islamo-Iranian Nazi in charge of their nuclear weapons program. Again, I thought they didn't have a nuclear weapons program. Responding to the assassination by reaffirming the commitment to rejoin the Obama nuclear deal would be a good way to send the message that terrorism doesn't work, he tweeted. Bernie Sanders is a Marxist, at least a neo-Marxist. He's not a democratic socialist. That's how they try and dumb it down so the morons are, oh, he's a democratic, so so am I, you idiots. He's a neo-Marxist, at a minimum. And so one of his top staffers is very offended by this. So we got to teach the Jews a lesson. The Jews who want to defend themselves from nuclear weapons from the Iranian regime. We got to teach the Jews a lesson. Because that's what the Democrat Party now stands for. And all the morons in my Jewish community who vote for them. This was a general in the terror-designated Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps working to create one of the world's most dangerous weapons for the world's leading state-sponsored terrorism with the express purpose of committing genocide, said Richard Goldberg, a former White House National Security Council member who worked on Iran issue. Mr. Duss's comments reflect a deeply disturbing worldview that calls it terrorism for a democracy to defend itself by eliminating a genocidal military nuclear terrorist. Imagine that. One of the things that really, really worries me a lot 
is while all this tumult's going on within our country, really thanks to Barack Obama to begin with, and then the community activists or the neo-Marxists, the Antifa types, both within his party and the surrogates outside his party, that have created this division in the country. It wasn't Trump. It's Zucker. It's Phil Griffin at MSNBC. It's the New York Times and the Washington Post, the way they treated this president. It's Biden and Obama, the way they sicked the federal law enforcement and federal intelligence on the president of the United States, his campaign, and his family. We've never seen anything like this in American history. Never. So we've reached this pinnacle where the neo-Marxists, the so-called progressives, oh, it sounds so... I'm a progressive. I believe in progress, don't you? What concerns me greatly is we have two wars going on at once, and I talked about this two years ago, and I should keep pointing it out until somebody else in talk radio and Fox regurgitates it, or maybe a columnist does, but we need to get it out there. We're fighting two wars at once, ladies and gentlemen. This internal war for the survival of this republic, while at the same time the communist Chinese are on the rise. And they're looking at this and they're laughing. They're looking at our own people. What we're doing to ourselves in the Democrat Party that would destroy our economy, destroy our energy independence, undermine our law enforcement, undermine our military, open our borders to God knows how many people. And China's saying, we don't have to fire a shot. They're killing themselves. While we continue to build the biggest military on the face of the earth, and we're going to build the biggest economy on the face of the earth, while the American economy is going to shrink under the Democrats. Now, isn't that something? I'll be right back. AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens, is one of the fastest growing organizations in America. Now over 2 million conservative members strong, and I'm one of them. AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we constitutional conservatives care about. More than talk, AMAC fights. A full-time presence in Washington, AMAC pushes back against reckless spending, disasters like Medicare for All, and the expanding reach of the federal government. And beyond advocacy, joining AMAC gives you access to a wealth of benefits and discounts, including special member-only rates on car insurance, travel discounts, cell phone plans, and a hell of a lot more. And if that's not enough, you'll get AMAC's bi-monthly magazine full of insightful articles on issues that matter to most of us, we conservatives. As I said, I'm an AMAC member, and you should be too. Join today at amac.us. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S. Stop supporting the liberal agenda that the other 50-plus organization has been pushing for. Join AMAC instead. A-M-A-C dot U-S. Joe Biden wants to build a new American economy that works for all. And after 47 years of trying, he thinks he can actually do it this time. Cut nine, go. A team that's tested and experienced. It includes groundbreaking Americans who come from different backgrounds, but who share my core vision for economic relief here in the United States of America. And given a fair shot and an equal chance, there's nothing We all believe there's nothing beyond the capacity of the American people. Let's not forget 
who built this country. Working class and middle class people built this country and unions built the middle class. And from the most. Let's stop. He has no plan for creating jobs for the middle class, union or non-union. When you're attacking our energy sector, when you're attacking our economic system, when you're massively increasing taxes, and let me tell you something, you folks are going to find out, those of you who have an accountant, those of you who don't, the stepped-up process. You ever hear the step-up process, Mr. Producer? Most people have not, but it'll affect you. When you sell your home, say you live there for 20 years, and let's say you're beyond the $250,000 exclusion you can take on a residence, you sell it, you have what's called a stepped-up basis. That is, let's say you bought the home for $50,000, and you had it for 20, 25 years, and maybe you bought it for $100,000. let us say it's worth $500,000 now. You paid $50,000. I'm just giving you an example. It's widely off. I get it. You get the $250,000 exclusion, right? Well, Joe Biden's proposal is, you know... I want you to pay a capital gains tax, not just on the difference between what you paid for your house and the profit you make on your house, even after this exclusion, but on the whole thing. The wholesale, Mr. Producer. Do you know that's in his tax proposal, regardless of how much you're worth? AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens, is one of the fastest growing organizations in America. Now over 2 million conservative members strong, and I'm one of them. AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we constitutional conservatives care about. More than talk, AMAC fights. A full-time presence in Washington, AMAC pushes back against reckless spending, disasters like Medicare for All, and the expanding reach of the federal government. And beyond advocacy, joining AMAC gives you access to a wealth of benefits and discounts, including special member-only rates on car insurance, travel discounts, cell phone plans, and a hell of a lot more. And if that's not enough, you'll get AMAC's bi-monthly magazine full of insightful articles on issues that matter to most of us, we conservatives. As I said, I'm an AMAC member, and you should be too. Join today at amac.us. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S. Stop supporting the liberal agenda that the other 50-plus organization has been pushing for. Join AMAC instead. A-M-A-C dot U-S. Mark Levin, a champion of freedom. You know, you're one of the greatest champions of freedom in this country, if not in the English-speaking world, Mark. Call Mark at 877-381-3811. Catherine Heritage, who works at CBS, I don't know how that, that happened. She's much too honest of a reporter, really, but they hired her nonetheless. She's tweeted the following from a Department of Justice spokesperson, Quote, some media outlets have incorrectly reported that the department has concluded its investigation of election fraud and announced an affirmative finding of no fraud in the election. That is not what the Associated Press reported, nor what the Attorney General stated. I have to say that is kind of what the Associated Press reported. I read it in part out loud. Did I not, Mr. Producer? 
The department will continue to receive and vigorously pursue all specific and credible allegations of fraud as expeditiously as possible. You see, I knew that was kind of out of sorts for Bill Barr, a man who I, I think has tremendous integrity and who I like a great deal. So I'm very pleased to see this uh, clarification, may I say, from the Department of Justice. Uh, And I'm sure the media out there will be very, very upset. And so um, they will continue to pursue fraud. But I did read what the Associated Press reported, and maybe they misreported. But in any event, I guess we're back on track, if we were ever off track. Right, Mr. Producer? Hopefully so. Where am I? What do you want me to do? Joe Biden doesn't have a single proposal to create growth, opportunity, and uh, economic uh, expansion in the private sector. Not one. Joe Biden's entire economic plan, if you want to call it that, is to balloon the size of the central government like all good little dummy Democrats. Massively increase the federal government Massively increase redistribution of wealth. Massively take money out of the private sector. Wash it through the hands of the politicians and the bureaucrats in Washington. And give it to their Democrat Party base. The people who create jobs are to be punished. The people who are successful are to be punished. They're to be hated. Because they're evidence of this supremacy or that supremacy or whatever the hell it is. Joe Biden's not going to create jobs for anybody except bureaucrats. That's it. He's going to push jobs overseas. He's going to make it impossible to get entrepreneurship up and running in this country, to get small businesses up and running in this country. He is poison for this economy, especially now. Poison. Progressives who are surrounded by neo-Marxists, I'll put it that way. All right, let's try it this way. Name one senior advisor that this man says he would appoint if he becomes president. Who has extensive private sector experience running a small business or a medium-sized business. Name one. One. Just need one. None. None. Not even one. See, the same thing goes for the newsrooms in America. These aren't people with real-world experience. The truth of the matter is that Biden represents not all, but many people on Wall Street who come to to the government for special privileges or protections who are what I've called all these years corporatists, not capitalists. He represents these billionaires who've made it a billion times over, but want power, like Bloomberg, like Steyer. Then they represent base. They say they represent unions. While they're putting men and women who work in private sector unions out of business, more and more they're embracing public sector unions, like the teacher unions. But Biden considers himself a union man, 
while he opens the border to illegal aliens, while he's going to turn 20 million illegal aliens into this country into citizens. Now, that hurts working men and women who are citizens, union and non-union. But Biden wants to have it both ways. The Green New Deal destroys the steel industry, destroys the car industry, destroys the coal industry, destroys the oil industry. And yet he pretends to represent these people with his propaganda. I want to talk more about his taxes, since apparently all these business channels we have and all these business hosts really don't get into it. He wants to lower the inheritance tax cap from the current level of $11 million to $3.5 million. Now, many of you who live in the city, the suburbs, you say, well, what's the big deal? That's because you don't own a farm. You don't own a farm. And when a farmer dies, he's not sitting on 11 million or 5 million or three and a half million. He's sitting on his land. And the land has a market value. And in order to pass it on to his children and or grandchildren, you have to pay taxes on the market value of that land that passes to your children. And for many farmers, the land is worth a lot more than three and a half million dollars. But it's not liquid. It's not cash. It's not money in the bank. And Joe Biden wants to raise the tax from 40%. You know, under the Trump tax cut, it's $11 million. Anything over that is 40% taxed. And this is money you've already been taxed on. He wants to raise it to 60%. So without complications and getting into the weeds, let's just use a, a simple elementary mathematical example. I'm a farmer. Let's say I have 700, 800, 1,000 acres right outside the suburbs. You know what a developer could do with that? Oh, my goodness. And this property, this, this farm has been in our hands for three, four, five generations. Things have built up around it. I can't control it. I'm a farmer. I don't much like it, but that's the way it is. Joe Biden, just, let's just say, is elected president. We lose the Senate. It's a disaster. A disaster. And they ram through his tax bill. And so I leave. I die in, on January 21, 2021, and I'm this farmer. And I leave my farm to my kids. But the kids don't get it first. The federal government comes in, the IRS, says, okay, what do you got there? Got this farm, the market value. Well, the market value is like $7 million. Okay. Three and a half million. Okay. There's another three and a half. Again, I don't want to get into deductions, adjusted gross, and I'm just playing it out. Okay. All right, you need to pay your federal inheritance tax. Well, what is it? It's 60% of 3.5 million. Well, I don't have that. Well, I don't care. You owe it. And until you pay it, interest and penalties are going to pile up on you. 
That family, the kids who inherited that farm, they have to sell the farm to pay the taxes. It's like the Washington Redskins, I mean the Washington football team. Jack Kent Cook. Or Steinbrenner with the Yankees. When Steinbrenner passed away, Reagan had been president, he eliminated the inheritance tax. Or it was such a high level, it didn't matter, Mr. Producer. Steinbrenner could pass the Yankees on to his kids. He didn't have to sell the Yankees. When Jack Ken Cook died, I don't remember who the president was, but the inheritance tax, a significant inheritance tax, was in place. And his kid or kids did everything they could desperately to raise the money to pay the federal inheritance tax, but they couldn't come up with it. So they had to sell the football team to pay their taxes. There's a tremendous number of small businesses in this country that are worth more than $3.5 million, even though the proprietors don't live on $3.5 million every day. That's their investment. That's the... That's the cost of the business. That's the market value of the business. Four, five, six, eight, nine, ten million dollars. Maybe they take a salary of 150000 or whatever it is. They're going to lose those businesses too. So who, who benefits from this? The government. Free college. People who you don't even know. People who hate your guts because of your race. Hate your guts because of your face. Just hate your guts. They're going to get your money. Not your family. Even though you worked all your life to create this thing. Even though you poured your money back into it. Even though you worked 18 hours a day. You don't get to keep it. Your family doesn't get to keep it. You have to sell it to pay your taxes. Under Obama, the cap on the inheritance slash gift tax was $5 million. Under Trump, it's $11 million till I think, 2026. Biden's going to lower it to $3.5 million. So all these small business people, all these farmers, all these people who raise livestock are going to lose everything. But Joe Biden cares about the little guy. Because $3.5 million sounds like so much. But these people aren't making $3.5 million. This is a backdoor wealth tax, you see? Because a wealth tax is unconstitutional if it's a direct tax. This is a backdoor wealth tax. They call it the death tax. Oh, okay. So we'll get your wealth. You've already paid federal income tax. You've already paid state income tax for those who have state income tax. You have state inheritance tax. You're paying that. Federal inheritance They want everything. And then they pretend that they're doing it for the little guy. They're doing it for government. The Democrat Party operates through government, through the police state, not the private sector, not through the Constitution. I'll be right back. AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens, is one of the fastest growing organizations in America. Now over 2 million conservative members strong, and I'm one of them. AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we constitutional conservatives care about. 
More than talk, AMAC fights. A full-time presence in Washington, AMAC pushes back against reckless spending, disasters like Medicare for All, and the expanding reach of the federal government. And beyond advocacy, joining AMAC gives you access to a wealth of benefits and discounts, including special member-only rates on car insurance, travel discounts, cell phone plans, and a hell of a lot more. And if that's not enough, you'll get AMAC's bi-monthly magazine full of insightful articles on issues that matter to most of us, we conservatives. As I said, I'm an AMAC member, and you should be too. Join today at amac.us. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S. Stop supporting the liberal agenda that the other 50-plus organization has been pushing for. Join AMAC instead. A-M-A-C dot U-S. I want to apologize to those who've called in and been waiting. I'll make it up tomorrow and we'll take, uh, take more calls than usual. Obama criticizes Americans for liking, quote, cheap gas and big cars, unquote, more than, quote, the environment. It's a man with a $15 million home on Martha's Vineyard. A $78 million home in Washington, D.C., a similar home in Chicago, Illinois. A man who flies around the country in private jets, who uses massive yachts owned by billionaires all over the world, has nothing but hating contempt for the middle class that Biden pretends to defend and represent. It's not, shall I say, black and white, is it? You can like cheap gas and like a clean environment. And it's an amazing thing in America. We have both. Like never before. We have both, but we never slow down to realize what a magnificent society this is. It's a magnificent society, despite Barack Obama and his neo-Marxist ilk. Shameless, absolutely shameless. Top 20% get six times more benefits from student debt cancellation than bottom 20% new study finds. How about that? This is from Fee, F-E-E dot org, one of the great sites. Even as a kid, I used to read their materials. From Senator Warren to Representative Each, some of the most prominent progressive politicians of the country are pushing hard for widespread student debt cancellation. So it's fascinating to see a study show that forcing taxpayers to pay down the roughly $1.5 trillion in government-held student debt is not a progressive policy by any stretch. What they're pointing out is two-thirds of the people in this country, many of you, did not attend or graduate from a four-year college. And so you'll see a huge redistribution of wealth from people who earn less to people who earn more. That is the lower middle class to the higher middle and even upper class. Because let's be honest, that really is the core constituency of the left so much more to go through, but I did cover a lot of it. Ladies and gentlemen, I hope you enjoyed today's show. We salute our armed forces, police officers, firefighters, and emergency personnel. Got a lot more tomorrow and the day after. Stay here on Radio Free America. God bless you and see you tomorrow. From the Westwood One Podcast Network. 